Any of you all traveled to Italy, to Rome, to be specific? Yeah, a lot of people have been to Rome. I haven't been there yet. Um, if you've traveled abroad, a place like Rome or Athens or Rio, for that matter, you will appreciate this story that Barbara Burkhoff told. It was of, in Rome, a group of American tourists who were traveling about the city by bus with an English-speaking guide. Uh, they got to one of the many piazzas in Rome, and on one side was a beautiful basilica where they stopped the bus. All the Americans filed out and went up the steps and did a short tour of the beautiful church. When they came out, the bus had had to um, relocate to the other side of this major avenue, right? So cars darting around, not necessarily following uh, the rules of traffic as we are accustomed to. And they started to cross, and the guide said, no, 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 wait. He said, don't cross one by one, or they will pick you off one by one. You need to cross in a group. They'll be afraid you'll do damage to their car. And I would say that would apply to Rio as well. Uh, I think that's probably a good rule for a lot of parts of the world where driving is done a little bit differently. But the moral of the story is, when you are abroad... When you find yourself in a foreign place, you need to know the lay of the land. You need to know some of the rules about how to get along. And as we begin today a series from the book of Daniel, I want you just to kind of consider where he found himself. Daniel and several of his friends uh, awoke one morning to a very foreign and strange place. They couldn't understand a word that was being said to them in the local language. The food was strange. The clothing was different. Uh, The customs were unusual. Uh, The values and the morality was, was joltingly different. The gods that were worshipped were pagan gods. They found themselves in Babylon. And they awoken to this strange new world because their city, Jerusalem, had been besieged and finally conquered by the world's great superpower, Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon. Their king, Jehoiakim, had been hauled off in chains. And this starts in 605 B.C., where the city of Jerusalem falls and Daniel and his friends would have been carted off to Babylon. And there they were. 1,600 miles away from Jerusalem in the heart of the beast, in the heart of this opposing power. And for the next few weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to go back into the world of Daniel, into the world of Babylon, and we're going to think about how to live, even thrive, when you find yourself in a place that doesn't share your values. When you feel like a stranger in the place you live, and I'm excited about the series, I believe the Spirit of God has a lot to teach us about uh, how we should conduct ourselves as we disciples increasingly find ourselves in a world that speaks a foreign tongue, in a culture that is not as uh, friendly to our way of looking at things, perhaps, in a world that I would even say worships different gods. It's been said, and this was Phil Jackson who told me this, one of our shepherds at Preston Crest who was a music major. Uh, It's been said, he told me, that the key to being a good musician is learning all of the rules of music. 
The key to being a great musician is learning which ones to break and when. And that is what we're going to find in the book of Daniel. When do we blend? When do we fit in? When do we stand out? When do we break the rules? When do we conform? When do we confront? And those are things I think we really need to hear and think about in this day and time. Well, I'm not going to... I wrote down a bunch of statistics. I'm not going to read all of them. I'll give you one, but you know this stuff already. You see it. Eyeball test. But uh, the percentage of Americans who consider themselves Christian is dropping uh, pretty noticeably. Went from 78% in 2007 to 70% in 2014. That's 8% in just a few years. And I wouldn't suggest to you this morning that we live in Babylon, at least not yet... But I would suggest that we have this sense more and more that we are swimming against the currents of culture. And so I think this book is very relevant to us. The tricky thing is, among other things, this question, you know, is America a Christian nation? Was it ever a quote-unquote Christian nation? What would that even mean? And there are a lot of different opinions, and there is not an easy answer. It is a complicated answer to that question. But there is a tendency, I think, because we love country, we love our state, we love our city, there is a tendency sometimes to whitewash history, to to have a collective amnesia and not remember the sins of the past or the sins of the present. We think back on history. And as believers, it is important to have an accurate view of the way things were and the way things are. I would ask you to consider a quote from another time. This is around Civil War times in America. Quote a document for you. You may not have heard this one before. We hold as undeniable truths that the governments of the various states and of the Confederacy itself were established exclusively by the white race for themselves and their posterity, that the African race had no agency in their establishment, that they were rightfully held and regarded as an inferior and dependent race. And in that condition only could their existence in this country be rendered beneficial or tolerable. That's our history. That's Texas history. 1861, Austin, Texas, convention to consider secession. And this is from the Articles of Secession for the state of Texas, approved by a vote of 166 to 7. That's our history. So we can love our state and we can love our country, but we must never be naive. We must never be blind that this is not our permanent home. Amen? We are sojourners. We are strangers in the land. And we're going to talk about this balance between being citizens and sojourners over the next few weeks. I love the description in Hebrews of our father in the faith, Abraham. It says this, Even when he, even when Abraham, think about this, when he reached the land God promised him, Even when he reached the land God promised him and lived there by faith, he was like a foreigner living in tents. 
And so did Isaac and Jacob who inherited the same promise. Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. And so here we are, citizens of a state, citizens of a country, but really our calling is to live from a higher citizenship. Our permanent address is not here, it is in heaven. It is in a city designed and prepared by God. And we who have not arrived yet realize this isn't our permanent residence. I love that phrase when it talks about Abraham. He was, quote-unquote, living in tents. And he would, if you've been in a tent before, you drive those tent stakes to hold it up, and you are reminded as you drive those tent stakes in the ground, that's not very permanent. And Abraham, when he was in the place God had promised him, the place God had given him, realized he was just a stranger there. In a few moments, we're going to look at Daniel and his friends, how they responded to this awakening to a brand new reality, one where their faith was not in alignment to the culture. But in the U.S., I would just step back. There's a lot going on politically in the country these days. We just finished having a... I don't even know if you can say we finished having an election. It still seems to be kind of going on. But there is a tendency to, to respond from one extreme or the other. One is the extreme of radical political engagement, right? As a Christian, I need to fight for my values. I need to fight for God. And so I need to make sure I'm voting for the right party and the right people. I need to contribute to the right causes that will defend my uh, faith. Um, There's that. And with that approach, the language that's used and the tactics that's used are the same that are used in the world, in society. And social media these days becomes a battleground where there are no-holds-barred fights for different positions and politicians. Historically, not so much these days, the pendulum had swung for some people to the extreme other side, not radical political engagement, but radical separation from civil discussions and from the political life of the country. Some of you uh, in this church graduated from Lipscomb University, founded, of course, by David Lipscomb, a leader in, the, in our tribe, in the Church of Christ movement in the 19th and 20th century. Listen to what he had to say about the Christian and politics. To vote. To vote. Or use civil power is to use force and carnal weapons. Christians cannot use these. To do so is to do evil that good may come. This is specially forbidden to Christians. To do so is to fight God's battles with the weapons of the evil one. To do so is to distrust God. The effective way for Christians to promote morality in a community is to stand aloof from the political strifes and conflicts and maintain a pure and true faith in God, which is the only basis of true morality and is as a leaven in society. To go into political strife is to admit the leaven of evil into the church. For the church to remain in the world and yet keep itself free from the spirit of the world is to keep alive an active leaven of morality in the world. So which one of these two approaches is right? 
Or is there a different, more biblical approach and perhaps more balanced approach? I think the book of Daniel is going to help us answer that question. So we walk through the book of Daniel and we consider biblically what it looks like to live in Babylon in a time and place where our faith story runs counter to the culture we find ourselves in. After a long siege of Jerusalem, the capital fell, and Babylon had a very clever strategy of helping to assimilate new kingdoms into the fold. They would select the best and brightest of the young group, and they would haul them off to Babylon, and they would retrain them. Daniel and his friends would never see Jerusalem again. They wouldn't visit their homeland again. Daniel and Babylon will end up serving in the court of the king. He will work there for a span of around seven decades. Think about that. Even change of management from the Babylonians to the Persians. It would be like someone serving and advising every U.S. president from Eisenhower to Trump. He was there a long time in this strange and foreign place. But first, Daniel and his friends would need to be trained, would need to be educated in the ways of Babylon. So they essentially were enrolled in the university of Babylon. Every tool available would be employed to help these young people become more Babylonian. Chapter 1, verses 3 to 5. The king ordered Ashpenaz, his chief of staff... To bring to the royal palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. Select only strong, healthy, and good-looking young men, he said. Make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning, are gifted with knowledge and good judgment, are suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. The king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens. They were trained for three years, and then they would enter the royal service. So Daniel and friends have been captured. They've been carried off to this strange land, and suddenly they find themselves essentially in this elite, high-end internship program. I mean, Daniel is going to be well-trained. I think you can make a good case that the book of Daniel is, is the most cosmopolitan book in the Bible. Some chapters are written, of course, in Hebrew. Some chapters are written in the language of the empire, Aramaic. There are Persian words that show up in this book. There are Greek words that show It is a cultured and cosmopolitan book. And we have this theme that runs through all of Scripture, not just the book of Daniel. It is a theme of God's people living as outsiders. Living as strangers wherever they find themselves. Hebrews eleven thirteen to 14, these people, people of faith, they were still living by faith. They admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. So we were designed by God to swim against the currents of culture, to be a kingdom people in a fallen world. It's who we are. And so Peter urged believers in the first century to live as sojourners and exiles. 
Daniel and friends were exiled to Babylon, but let's be clear, this is a five-star captivity. I mean, this is not too shabby. Essentially being trained in the Harvard of Babylon, room and board, full tuition, everything included, a bright future laid out for you of service in the diplomatic corps there in the royal palace of Babylon. But first they needed some new names, some less provincial names, some less Jewish names. And so they would be named by the Babylonians after some of their deities. Chapter 1, verse 7, chief staff renamed them with these Babylonian names. Daniel was called Belteshazzar, Hananiah was called Shadrach, Mishael was called Meshach, Azariah was called Abednego. And if the Babylonians were going to call them by these names, there wasn't a lot they could do about it. But there were other areas they would not conform. One of them was with the diet. They would not compromise their convictions to have a kosher diet. We are told that those in this internship program would be served from the king's kitchens, the best foods and the best wines, luxurious foods, but it would include shellfish and lobster and pork and probably some food that had been offered to idols, food that they could not in good conscience consume, and that was a problem. Daniel wouldn't go along with it. He told the one who was serving the food, we can't do this. I want you to serve me and my friends a diet of only vegetables and water. And the attendant said, I don't, I don't know that I can do that. I mean, if you guys start losing weight and wasting away, I'm the one who's going to get punished here. Daniel said, I'll tell you what, let's try this for 10 days. Let's do a 10-day cleanse here. Let's see how we look after 10 days. And they were fitter, more defined, radiant with health, more so than any of the other boys that were in this program. And so here's how things progressed after that. They were allowed to continue with their diet, of course. Starting in verse 17, As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time, the king had commanded that they should be brought in, and the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them, and among them none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king in every manner of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them. He found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus, the first Persian king. But just notice in that dialogue as they're devoting themselves to, to learning science and technology and literature and language, who is helping them? God is helping them, verse 17. God gives them these gifts to master the culture and the wisdom around the Babylonian world. And, and through God's help, through their dedication to their studies, and through their uncompromising convictions, they're going to be prepared to make a difference in the culture around them. Now, withdrawal, isolation from culture, this was not clearly was not God's plan for them. On the other hand, the will of God was not for them to become 
fully Babylonian either. And so they mastered this material and they became fluent in the new surroundings. However, they remained obedient to God. They knew they belonged to a better master and a better kingdom. So let's close this morning by talking about a few reminders, things to remember when you feel like if it's at work or at school or in your neighborhood, when you feel like you're living in Babylon, remember this first, we were made for this. We are where we are because the Lord has placed us in this time and place. You do not live where you live by accident. Paul one time was preaching to the philosophers and scholars in Athens, Greece. And he shared this with them in Acts chapter 17, verse 26, 27. From one man he, he, God, made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the times set for them and the exact places where they should live. God put you where you are. It turns out this materialistic, faithless, polytheistic world where Daniel was carried off to is the very world God wanted him to inhabit. God had a plan for him there. They lived, though, in a foreign place. First century Christians lived in a foreign place. It wasn't Babylon anymore. It was, of course, the Roman Empire. And so when we read uh, the literature of the New Testament, we're reading words written to people in exile, people living against the grain. Jesus famously told folks one time to give to Caesar what is Caesar's. And within that phrase, you have this powerful concept that believers essentially owe something to the country they live in. We are to be, to the extent possible, good citizens. Pay taxes. Pray for those in authority. And I think since we live in a democracy, part of being a good citizen in a democracy is voting. Maybe even running for political office. Paul wrote to the church in Rome. Listen to what he said in chapter 13. He said, be a good citizen. All governments are under God's, under God. Insofar there is peace and order, it's God's order. So live responsibly as citizen. In verse 6, he said more. He said, this is also why you pay taxes. Sorry, guys, it's in the Bible. Okay. This is why you also pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give everyone what you owe him if it's taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. And there will be, to be sure, moments when we, as followers of Christ, cannot in good conscience accommodate ourselves to what the culture or the government wants us to accommodate to, okay? But the default position for Daniel, for first century Christians, and for us is to be good citizens. Second thing to remember, and boy, do we need this in our day and time. 
We honor God by behaving with civility and conviction. We connect with culture where we can without losing our identity as disciples. Peter wrote these words to first century Christians. He said, in your hearts, regard Christ as a Lord, as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet, do it with gentleness and respect. Mm. Gentleness and respect. Does that describe the political moment we live in? United States of America 2018? Nah. Yet it should describe us. Amen? Should describe the people of God. And Peter is talking specifically about the context where they are living as foreigners, as strangers, and giving a defense to anyone, to people who do not agree with them, who may be offended by their belief and conviction that Jesus is the Christ. And he says, so speak up, defend yourself, give a word to those who question, but do it always with gentleness and respect. We can connect with the culture without conforming to it. We can be in the world, but not of the world. In the world, location. Yeah, that's us. Of the world is possession. No, we're not owned by the world. Finally, remember as disciples of Jesus, we exist to influence the culture around us. The world needs us. The world needs us like your ribeye steak needs some salt on top of it. I mean, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, you are the salt of the earth. You flavor it. You season it. uh, Paul said this, don't you know that a little yeast, all these culinary analogies here, a little yeast works its way through the whole batch of dough. Babylon needed a little yeast, needed a little salt. So did Rome. So does the United States. Need people who understand the world, who are fluent in all things of the world, and who will persistently represent God in whatever circumstance they find themselves in. The world needs us, needs you. The nation needs us. Our state needs us. They need us to be who we are, to be the people of Christ, to be the blood-bought people. Our culture needs something more, more than individualism, more than material pursuits, more than good coffee and quality Wi-Fi. The the world needs the Christ-shaped people, the gospel-shaped people. And so we are salts and light, and leaven. We're seasoning conversations at work and at school. We're influencing the neighborhood. We're influencing the world of sports, the world of academia, and the arts. That's our calling. In all things, we understand that we serve a different king. 
that we belong to a different kingdom. Let's close with this statement about Daniel. I think it really sums up what to do when you find yourself living in Babylon. Listen to what it says here. It says, But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. Learn the language? Check. Learn the literature? Yes. Devote myself to studying the science and technology of the Babylonia? Yes. But he would not defile himself. He had some convictions. Read this with me. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile yourself himself. And that's what I want you to think about this week. When you head off into, into the world, into your corner of the world, will you be salt and light and leaven, but not defile yourself? Can you do that for your king? We live in this time and place that the Lord has placed us in for His glory to blend in with culture and sometimes for the glory of Christ to stand out, to break the rules. Daniel understood this. And because Daniel got this, he became a blessing to many a king and to the royal palace in Babylon. This morning, if you would like to give your life to Christ, we would encourage you to surrender your life to the King of Kings, Jesus, to be baptized in His name. Perhaps you just need prayers. But before we respond in worship, I want us just to bow our heads and pray together. Spirit of God, we have been saved by the blood of Jesus. We are not our own. We have been bought with a price. We ask you to mold us and shape us into the people you want us to be. May we know when to blend in. May we know when to learn the rules of the music of the culture and harmonize with it. And Spirit, show us when to break the rules and stand out and not conform. Use us in this world to represent a better king and a better kingdom. We pray this in the name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together and worship.